Dear listener, we've got a little bonus episode for you. Uh, you might remember we've got a listener and patron, Was, who sent us a marvellous case of beer. And he also sends us regular messages. And his latest one was that he really enjoyed the segment in episode 167 about the Mormons. And I know he's back as far as episode 110 in the back catalogue, but we've got some early Mormon episodes that go back to episodes 28, 29 and 30. And because Was has been looking after us, I decided to cobble the little bits and pieces together and tidy up the audio and uh, present them to you now as a little bonus extra, our uh, our discussions about the Mormon faith from those from those episodes of uh, nearly three years ago. So uh, that's all it is in this episode. A little bit about Mormons. If it's your cup of tea, have a listen. If not, switch off and the regular podcast will be on at the usual uh, time next week. Okay, cheers. I reckon we might hold off some of the others. Definitely next week I'm going to talk. I've just finished a book, folks, about about the Mormons who have fascinated me for a long time. And this is by David Fitzgerald. And... Uh, it was a really good read. Amazing, amazing sort of just it's hard to believe that something so obviously fake and such a con could be as successful as it is. But um, Yeah, and that is the thing that's always amazed me about it. Hmm. The yeah. opening paragraph of this book is what got me in. He said, um, but if all of the major religions today held a competition to see which was the goofiest, most blatantly, most demonstrably well-documented pile of sheer, unflinching bullshit, who would win? <laughs> it's a tough call, but in this little book, I'd like to make a heartfelt argument on behalf of the Church of Jesus Christ and the Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. And uh, so that gives you a bit of a tone of the book, and um, I loved it, so... Um, so I will try and provide a bit of a summary of the Mormons next week because um, uh, they're an interesting group and they are. Yeah, they are an interesting they, group. They yeah. are just crazy. So um, yeah. uh, actually one thing about the Mormons, just, just as a little sort of teaser for people, is yes. you know, they're sort of famous for two things, um, the polygamy and yes. also, you know, sending people off on um, missions around the world to um, mm. convert people. And did you know there was a connection between the two? No, I didn't yes. know that. So no. Joseph Smith and others, as they were in charge of the of the church, basically um, they'd look around the town and see a rather attractive woman who they liked the look of and... If she was unfortunately already married, what they would simply do is say to her husband, um, have I got a job for you? You know, you need to go off on this mission to Africa for four <laughs> years and um, and convert people for us and um, good luck, off you go, leaving the wife behind. And um, then they would tap the wife on the shoulder and say, well, we've got this thing of these secret marriages and um, and basically coerce and force them into into a, a secret polygamous marriage. And, uh, yes, right? very successful. I mean, Joseph Smith ended up with 50 wives. And, you know, yeah. if you do that once or twice and you look around and you think, that's a good-looking woman over there, God damn, the husband's in the road. Just just ship, ship him off to a faraway country for a few years and 
problem solved. Yeah, yeah I find it amazing that, uh, you know, I've, yeah, I've, I don't want to preempt it yeah. too much, but I find it incredible that you've got this situation that, uh, you know, polygamy came about basically because he got busted having sex with his neighbour's wife. Well, yeah, I mean, he just liked the idea of having multiple wives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He liked the idea of playing yeah. around. And um, So anyway, there's a whole bunch of stuff uh, and... The beauty about the Mormons is that, is that because they're only 200 years old, um, they can't escape the history. So they want to say things didn't happen, but then unfortunately all of the documents to say that they happened exist and are there and prove exactly. them to be so crazy. And um, yeah. anyway, so that's a little teaser for next week, the Mormons. Mm. I I, uh, I last week promised to do a little bit on the Mormons. I think I'll yes. just do a little bit by bit on the on the Mormons. Um, okay. So um, so basically, uh, you're in the 1820s in upstate New York, and it's a time in the world where people are quite superstitious, and there's all sorts of snake oil salesmen and pseudo-magicians roaming around and uh, trying to make a buck from conning people. And in this mix of, of con men and vagabonds is uh, Joseph Smith, who's a tall and charismatic, charming and good-looking guy um, and a complete rogue and con man. <laughs> and uh, anyway... And his family is as well. And uh, in 1823, he declares to his family, uh, well, he declared that in 1823 he was visited by an angel, um, which, you know, of itself would be remarkable, would it not, Scott? Well, I would have thought so, yeah. Yeah, but you try and find, you know, finding an angel is hard enough, but finding one that's a white-skinned Native American is even harder, <laughs> I reckon. And anyway, uh, the angel Moroni, I think was the angel's name, told him of a book that yeah. was up on the hill and yeah. uh, words were written on gold plates and that um, Moroni wanted Joseph Smith to get that book and... It was the Book of Mormon, and he would his job would be to translate it. Um, also, when he gets to the book, he'll find the Sword of Laban, and he'll find an ancient breastplate, and he'll find two magic stones. So uh, he couldn't take them straight away. Um, he basically um, had to uh, visit the spot on the same day every year for four years, and... Uh, so on September the 21st, 1827, he told his family that the, uh, the four visits were completed and he now had this uh, magical golden book, the Book of Mormon. And um, now he told everybody he had it and he had it in a kind of a sack and uh, he said it's in this sack and uh, it's gold plates and uh, all these things happened. And... Everyone believed him, Scott. Yeah. And they said, can we have a look? And he said, no, you can't look because if you do, you'll die. But believe me, it's true. It all happened and that gold book is in this sack. And they said, oh, okay, well, we believe you. 
Now, oh, and what he's going to do, uh, he's called upon, is the two magical stones he'll put in his hat, and this will allow him to read the Book of Mormon, which is actually written in an ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics. And uh, he'll be able to translate uh, the Book of Mormon uh, using this method. And everybody believed him. Now, that, you know, just knowing that, you'd, you'd be full of doubt, wouldn't you? You would be. You'd think you would be, yeah. You, I mean, you, it's... it's you, you'd be, it's a it's a tall tale, and you'd be yeah. a bit suspicious. Yes, you'd be you going, and you're not allowed to look at the gold plates because if you do, you'll die. Yeah, and um, he's telling you that he's going to translate it by putting the you know magic stones in his hat, and and that's how he's going to translate the hieroglyphics. Like you just think that's pretty pretty obscure. But Scott, I reckon that his family. <laughs> Up to the other most credulous people in the world, <laughs> because only eighteen months previously he had been convicted for fraud, <laughs> and the circumstances of his fraud were that he claimed to be a seer who could find lost treasures and gold and ancient mines and anything of value on people's properties. So he yeah. would claim he could find them, like a water diviner type thing, but, you know, yeah. he'd wander around a property and people would pay him money to go onto the property and to find these treasures which he said that were there. And, of course, they'd start digging and, oh, well, it must be deeper or actually I think it's in this other spot and he'd drag them on for ages, taking their money and eventually leave when things got too hot. So... The other incredible thing about his ability to find treasure was in order to do it, he would put, Scott, two stones on his head and pull a hat down over the top of his eyes and walk around seeking inspiration. (laughs) So having been convicted for that fraud, I find it amazing that his family and everyone else could possibly... Um, <laughs> believe the story of the angel well, and the gold yeah. plates that they can't see that he's going to translate with stains in his hat. Like, it's it, the beautiful part about this, Scott, is that for years the uh, the Mormons claimed that um, uh, that he wasn't convicted of fraud; that uh, that was all false, and in fact, um, he. Uh, you know, he was quite successful in his ventures as a treasure finder for people and blah, blah, blah. I like, totally deny that it happened. And the yeah. beautiful part is that somebody was rummaging around in some old courthouse like 130 years later and the court records were there and including the document showing the conviction of Joseph Smith for exactly yeah. that offence. So yeah. um, this is one of the continuing problems with the Mormon church is that they deny things, but because they're so young, um, pure, un, you know, uncontroversial evidence comes out that totally slams them in the face, and um, <laughs> and they have to they have to backtrack. So yeah. um, people keep you know coming up with ancient with letters that he wrote or family members wrote, and totally debunking 
the exaggerated stories that come out. So much so that there was one guy who actually... Um, and, and what the uh, church would do is they would have these embarrassing documents and so they would put them in the archives and um, so that nobody could find them. And this one, um, you know, about his uh, conviction, I think... Uh, actually, no, that came about because they found it in the... Um, in the uh, in the old courthouse, but there was another one where he had a vision of of his first vision of the angel, and um, you know, folklore painted it a certain way, and um, eventually, though, one of his old letters turned up uh, in the archives of uh, of the Mormon Church, like some re- historical researcher had gone in to look at something else and had seen this document and. Put it in as a footnote for their um, f- for their little thesis they were working on, and other people said, "What's this footnote? What's this document you're talking about?" And the church couldn't deny this document, and it had to be produced. And it showed that his first vision was a totally different scenario, and showed the way he scratched away at his at his story and you know scratched words out and put new words in, and you know you could you could tell it was a made up story. So. Um, so that's one of the beautiful things about the Mormon church is they keep tri- tripping over these documents. And what I was going to say is there was this guy who was aware of this. So he would create forged documents that were embarrassing to the church and say, oh, found this old letter of Joseph Smith or or, uh, or Bingham Young and, uh, you know, it says this, which is contrary to all these teachings of yours. And the church would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars and then squirrel it away in deep down in the archives of the Mormon Church, and um, <laughs> and and paid this guy a fortune until eventually he was somehow um, uh, caught. But you know nobody's sure exactly how much money he actually received from the church. We're trying to cover up issues. So so there you go. That's a bit more of a taste of the crazy Mormons, and I'll continue <laughs> I'll continue with more Mormon uh, nonsense next week. <laughs> Scott, I just thought I'd throw in a little bit of Mormon corner. Um, yeah, when, absolutely. When last we left the Mormons, we had uh, Joseph Smith had had found the book and uh, and had explained to everybody that they couldn't look at it because they would be killed, but he could translate it using the same system that he was convicted of fraud for only 18 months earlier. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, incredible. Yes. So the interesting thing about the book, as he, uh, it's it's written in an uh, what he called a reformed um, form of Egyptian rather than in Hebrew. Yeah. But um, the book was written by many ancient prophets by the spirit of prophecy and revelation. Basically, their words written on gold plates were quoted and abridged by a prophet historian named Mormon, and basically. In the book, Mormon gives the account of two great civilizations um, in the USA. Okay, this is we're talking yeah. about two great civilizations on the plains of America here. One supposedly came from Jerusalem in 600 BC, which then split into two nations known as Nephites and Lamanites, and the other came much <laughs> earlier when the Lord confounded the tongues at the Tower of Babel. So the people from the Tower of Babel who started talking in tongues and couldn't understand each other, uh, yeah. they were the Jaredites who were also came across 
And after thousands of years, uh, these people had developed um, incredible civilization and they had chariots and uh, weapons and breastplates and and gold and all sorts of stuff and uh, major battles and all were destroyed except for the Lamanites. And they are the who then went on to become the principal ancestors of the American Indians. <laughs> and they'd forgotten everything that they had been that they had brought with them from the Middle East. Well, well here's the thing, Scott. You can you can look at um, the DNA of American Indians, and and you can trace, you know, their movement, how they arrived in the Americas, and yeah. it's got nothing to do with. Um, with the areas that uh, Joseph Smith said, like it, it just it doesn't add up in the least. He also said yeah. that then some of them went to Polynesia. He claims Polynesians also come from this group. And when you're looking at the uh, the, the DNA and and genes of these people, there's, there's absolutely no way anything he said is correct. And yeah, and these civilizations that supposedly had all this metalworking in terms of chariots and breastplates and swords and etc. Not one single artefact, anything remotely like what he has described, has been found anywhere mm. in America. Like, you don't just have these sorts of things and not have a few little pieces lying in the out somewhere. Like, it's just the greatest load of... It's the most Garbage. pathetic fairy tale. So he, he yeah. writes that, and then he um, then he's also just stolen... Um, passages from the Bible. So he just grabs the Bible as well and starts reading bits of it and intermingling, you know, these stories with those. And um, and they can tell that he has uh, just written, just copied, because they can even tell exactly what year the Bible was printed that he was uh, reciting from, which was um, because of... Uh, the, he actually quotes footnotes and and things in there that never appeared in the early editions of the Bible. So it's just ridiculous to think that he was reading from some gold plates because it's proven that he's reading from a document that was published in like the 1700s because of the it's an exact copy of one of the versions of the Bible running around at the time, certain passages. So um, so mm. he's just concocting. Um, a mishmash of a, a new history of Native Americans with bits of the Bible and throwing in crazy stuff um, in terms of, of the afterlife, uh, Scott. So, <laughs> mm. so basically uh, uh, sort of the, the Mormon heaven is a place called Kolob, K-O-L-O-B, and Kolob, yes. okay. And uh, it's not really clear, but Kolob is is the name of the planet where God uh, lives, or it's the star closest right. to heaven, or it's just a metaphorical symbol of Jesus, or no one really knows. Like you get all sorts of different answers yep. from Mormons, but probably a planet Kolob uh, is as close as you're going to get. So that's kind of heaven. And you, Scott, have already been there because. We're all up there, and then we get transported down to Earth, and in the process, yeah. um, we unfortunately lose our memory of our pre-existence in Kolob, and uh, 
It's then up to us to live a good Mormon life uh, here on earth, in which case we will then be returned up to Kolob. And it will depend on how well we've performed as Mormons, um, Scott, as to where we end up. So if, we're, uh, if we haven't done a good job as Mormons, we'll be in the Telestial Kingdom, which is the bottom most... So he, like the Mormon heaven's got sort of three levels. So the bottom level is Telestial right. Kingdom. So it's, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a low-rent heaven or an upscale hell. <laughs> Depending. Right. <laughs> So, um, so you know, you could end up there. The next level up is the terrestrial kingdom. Uh, this is where all the non-Mormon religious people go, and where half-assed Mormons go. So, if you, you know, right. and, uh, and then there's the celestial kingdom, and that's where the good Mormons go. And uh, of course, um, God is there with Jesus, uh, sits on a blazing throne, and the uh, streets are literally paved with gold. So it's pretty good there in the celestial kingdom. And while you're there, you get to be with your wives if you have uh, sealed with them for life. So on earth, you can have a more than just a marriage ceremony. You have a permanent sealing, S-E-A-L-I-N-G. And if you've done that, then your wife will join you in heaven. And there's this really weird thing where if you've been really good, then you and your wife and your children can create your own sort of colob-like planet where you create your own heaven and it all happens again. It's all a bit confusing. But, uh, oh, there's a spirit prison and there's an outer darkness. And um, uh, interestingly, Scott, um, you know, you've got people who, you know, died before Joseph Smith started Mormonism. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's not really fair that they spend a thousand years in, in spirit prison. So um, what, the, what the Mormons believe is that those people can actually be baptised now and, that will, and yes. that will get them out of the uh, spirit prison that yeah. they're in. So... Uh, that's one of the reasons why the Mormon church is so big on family history and genealogy. You know, they're famous for having um, very good records of, of genealogy of um, people throughout the century. So um, I thought that it'd be more for the uh, keeping an eye on, on uh, you know, back in the days of polygamy. Yeah, it could be. Um, but they're certainly big on it. So every week... Um, yeah. Teenage uh, boys and girls have the honour of being baptised in the place of dead people. So it's called yeah. the baptism of the dead. And uh, it's uh, giving those people then the opportunity to move out of the spirit prison uh, into the celestial kingdom. So that happens on a regular basis in the Mormon church. And, of course, they don't ask the permission of the dead people. They just uh, find dead people and and start baptising them there at the Mormon church. And uh, so much so that um, what they found out, well, the American Jewish Committee was not very happy when they found out that the Mormon church was baptising the murdered Jews of World War II. So they had to, yeah. they had to contact the Mormon church and say, hey, you can't baptise our Jewish people into your Mormon church. They had to... Um, had to make them stop and 
10 years later, they found out that the Mormons were still doing it, like baptising Holocaust victims uh, despite the wishes of the Jewish church. Like, yeah. <laughs> the, the, it's the, just, it's... The, the nonsense of it is, it's unbelievable. So, um... Yeah, it really and the, is. And the, uh... Just treading over people, like even Mitt Romney, so former presidential hopeful, he yep. had an atheist father-in-law, an atheist father-in-law, and Mitt Romney, after his father-in-law died, he did a he did a baptism of him. Like the, the height <laughs> of these people. So, um, yeah, so Bill Maher again, another um, American sort of noted atheist. He held an unbaptizing ceremony in in his show and um <laughs> yeah so that's a little bit more from mormon corner and uh how crazy is that and there's also a lot more nasty stuff which i will mention next week uh where the mormons were involved in a massacre of some poor people so yeah so there we go, Scott. I reckon that's probably going to bring us up to the one-hour mark. Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, first up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and, uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really, the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, is it worth... More than that, less than that, whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe you really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation, so you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners, and that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks. Thanks.